This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Today's topic is a, a Zen response to the climate emergency, the climate crisis. And uh, I think it's important to mention that it's a Zen response, not the Zen response, because I don't know what the Zen response is. Uh, I'm not even sure really what my response is. It's a very difficult question, it seems to me. So these are just some thoughts of mine. And also in this title, A Zen Response to the Climate Emergency, uh, I think it might be helpful as a, as a Zen response coming from me to call it climate emergency or climate crisis, as opposed to um, climate change or even the, uh, as some, somebody mentioned around this, the kind of cozy term of global warming sounds kind of nice on a winter day. So uh, I think many of you probably know many, many details and we hear a lot about this thing. It's, it's more than simply global warming, although that's maybe the biggest issue, but it's climate changing in all different ways and all these dependently arisen loops of cause and effect. And uh, mostly originating with the warming. But uh, I think it's helpful to name it uh, an emergency or a crisis, a catastrophe. There are many, so many uh, issues in this world, so many painful events personally and in society that um, those of us with bodhisattva vow are concerned about trying to relieve suffering, not just our own. So many painful isms. And uh, from a Buddhist perspective, we could start with the, um, the root uh, origin of all the painful isms is self-ism. Selfism is feeling that um, I, this personal self, is more important than other selves. And we know in this tradition that that's a delusion, kind of root delusion. And uh, there are cures for this delusion, and that's what our practice is all about. Through, um, through hearing the profound teachings of no actual, independent, separate, personal, singular self, uh, and meditating on these teachings and letting that, that illusion drop away in zazen again and again, we, um, we aspire to um, 
drop away self-ism moment by moment. But then all these other isms, we could say, uh, arise out of this root origin of selfism. And going from, so just to mention a few of these isms, from a kind of small, small circle to large circle, maybe the first um, ism. And some of these, I'm, I'm making up these terms to kind of like emphasize how many of these kind of unconscious, illusory imaginations we hold. Second one may be kind of hard to hear, familyism. So selfism is, is um, thinking that I myself am more important than others. Familyism could be my family is more important than other families. It's just an extension, a little extension beyond selfism. And, and uh, as we hear these different isms, we, can, we could also consider how these, these might even relate to uh, the issue of big issue of climate change. For example, I need my family to be really comfortable and sound willing to like do some things that might not be so helpful for the, for the ecosystem at large to uh, make my family comfortable. It's not just about me. So it would be kind of familyism, um, tribalism, my tribe, my my Zen Sangha is more important than other tribes than other Sanghas. Extending bigger classism. These are now like these social structures, often unconscious. My class is my, my upper class is more important than lower classes. We might not even necessarily think these things consciously, but we um, maybe hold such unconscious views really based on selfism, a larger version of selfism, and then we act and live accordingly. Moving beyond classism, nationalism, my country is more important than other countries. Racism, even bigger, my race is more important than other races. It's one way to look at racism. Again, just my extended self, that is identified with this race, we could say is the root cause of racism. Um, sexism, now we're extending over the whole um, human species and dividing it in half. My gender is more important than other genders. And then uh, maybe, the, maybe the biggest container that comes to mind going beyond even, even that dividing the entire human race in half like that, it's sexism, is speciesism. My species is more important than other species. And now we've covered all sentient beings. Sentient beings are the ones who suffer. So our Bodhisattva vow is to relieve the suffering of sentient beings. It's nice to respect rocks as rocks, but um, it's not so much that we have to take care of their, of their suffering. It's not that rocks are like grasping a self-identity. So um, building on this root cause, unconscious 
view of selfism, we unconsciously live out these other isms. Species is a, is a hard one, I think. In a way, it's, it seems the largest, but in another way, the most unconscious, or I almost feel like societal blind spots. You know, so much talk in the news about the other isms, racism, sexism. Of course, we are, our species is created equal, but um, less talk, it seems, about other species really aren't as important as humans. But that's a, a human-centric bias, seems to me. So um, climate emergency is a, is a result of a lot of these isms, starting with selfism up to speciesism, but also nationalism, I think, fits in, you know, as a big piece of of um, nationalism and, and, and classism, I think are uh, largely fueling the climate emergency because we in the, in the uh, wealthy first world countries don't notice that the effects of the climate emergency are mostly painfully received by other countries and poorer classes. So um, with all this in mind, thinking about a Zen response to climate catastrophe today, I would say maybe a first step, a first um, practice Zen practitioners might take up is to just really open to the painful facts of these unconscious isms they're so painful to open to. We can go about our whole life without opening to them and be much more comfortable in our, in our separate self, our separate family, our separate tribe, our separate country, our separate race, our separate gender, our separate species. Opening to um, the, the, the value, the inherent value of all life especially sentient life, the miracle of being alive that we share with all life. We share equally, ultimately in an unbiased way with all life. And uh, opening to the painful fact that this human species is mostly not really open to the, the full extent of, um, of this great suffering. Um, and I don't want to bring up all the facts about um, the climate emergency, because I think most of us know most of them, many of them, and they're changing all the time. Maybe no climate deniers here maybe less and less complete climate deniers um, anywhere, actually, these days. Even the, the, the most radical climate deniers I've heard in the last months saying, no, it really is an issue. It's a low priority issue, but climate change is real. 
almost everybody is agreeing with this now. The extent of it, maybe there's you know, not, um, not agreement, but I think many scientists and world leaders and, uh, and people at large and practitioners are um, starting to agree. And it's arguable, but many people are agreeing that this, um, that this climate catastrophe is the greatest challenge that humanity has ever faced. That's a big statement that maybe not everyone here even agrees with yet. It goes beyond racism and sexism and uh, these things, which not to say that these aren't um, really essential issues we have to address, but this is the, uh, I feel more and more that this is, this is the biggest thing we've ever faced. It could be the end of, end of humanity. It's not out of the question anymore, and we don't know when. But, uh, it's big, so so opening to to that that the extent of the uh, crisis, and um, also part of this opening to the painfulness of it, kind of going trying to open beyond kind of denial and our blind spots, and just not wanting to think about such an immense and seemingly um, unworkable, um, hopeless situation. I think when we start to open to it, many people start to feel hopeless. It's, and many scientists are saying it's too late. There's the too late side. More and more like seriously saying, we can, we can slow it down, we can lessen it, but it's, it's um, major, major change is on its way irreversibly. If not a single drop of oil was burned Starting now, it's already too late. That's, I think, what the science is saying. So um, trying to open to this more and more and opening to the details, opening to the facts, which as I say, are changing all the time. And there's many um, you know, web resources. I recently myself just watched for the first time on uh, Al Gore's um, Inconvenient Sequel, I think it's called. But he did Inconvenient Truth a decade ago or so, which was shocking and is great. If you haven't seen, I recommend highly. Inconvenient Sequel was just a few years ago to show like how things have gone since then. And also to show some really um, positive possibilities. Many, many, many ways to be informed. I like to learn, learn about these, the details. I say, I like to, but in a way, of course I don't like to at all, right? But I, I consider it like a practice to um, feel the pain. And, um, and another reason why I think it's hard to open to it and hard to open to the fullness and intensity of this issue is because it's less kind of like in our face than say um, racism and sexism. We see an image of, um, of a black man being killed by the police. The image goes viral. And that's really a very tangible image that's um, very painful. And, uh, and you know, some might say, well, we see the images of these like um, mega storms and, um, and heat waves 
but they they don't have the same impact i don't think as as these these individual humans being killed so um i think that makes it hard it's it's still we even if we're saying it's the it's the biggest crisis humanity's ever faced it's um still kind of feels a little intangible because it's so it's so big and so interconnected there's so many pieces you can't pinpoint on a single event of and say that's climate change you know you could, what about this this mega storm what about that freezing in in austin that breaks all the pipes well it could be a fluke or it could be partially climate change so i think it's harder to see than these really tangible events it makes it harder to open to and um you know all these issues are connected as with bodhisattva vow of course we want to look at all of these things and just this one's maybe harder than others in some ways and also when i think about things like say to take racism and sexism two huge issues that we're all aware of and and trying to work on in our own ways being open to these painful situations if we look at like world history even though it seems especially bad these days if we look at world history it's maybe never been better ironically in the US i mean it was just not long ago at all when um it was legal slavery in this country yes there's a lot of work to do but um it's a lot better than it was at that time and in other countries um since the beginning of humanity so we're we keep opening to the um the new impacts trying to relieve all suffering endlessly but um and sexism too right and i think as we know in this country it's much better than uh, other countries i would say you know in in the in the first world developed nations there's work to be done to be sure but um it's kind of improving whereas this issue of the climate crisis is is one issue that's not at all improving but it's getting much much worse since the beginning of humanity so um again it's easy to divert our attention from this because maybe also racism and sexism we feel like we can address it in a, in a, you know one step at a time with with individual laws with individual groups and individual people and i i think it's true we feel like we can we can make more progress on those fronts whereas this one it just seems like when they say it's too late already how can we stand to keep thinking about it so opening opening to this painful situation and how how it could be the greatest um problem the greatest suffering for um all sentient beings on this planet ever faced who wants to open to such a thing as bodhisattvas we were being called to sixth great extinction do we believe it so that's that's a first point uh, opening to the painful facts and learning about it. second is uh 
uh, I would propose today, we can um, deeply accept this situation, which might sound a little bit crazy and, and stupid and irresponsible. But I think as practitioners, we start with, same with racism and sexism, we start with accepting the dependent arising. Accepting means just acknowledging this has come to be due to a lot of conditions and we're studying the conditions. And we accept that because the conditions are the way they are, this is the way it is. So that kind of acceptance, not a passive resolve to whatever is fine, but more like it is happening. That's the, it's kind of, this kind of acceptance is just non-denial in a way it's an extension of, of um, opening to the painful facts. And just knowing the law of dependent co-arising, the Buddha's supreme law that all phenomena arise due to causes and conditions. Nothing arises randomly. Some causes and conditions we can't see, so it seems a little random, but we learn more and more how um, about the causes and conditions, and therefore these problems didn't just pop out of the blue. And again, with this list of kind of these isms, starting from self-ism to out to speciesism, really from a Buddhist point of view, we could say the um, the root cause of all problems in the world is this simple fact of selfism that I this person is more important than the others. So that's part of the acceptance, seeing that well, everybody has this, virtually everybody on the planet has this particular disease called selfism. And we're so fortunate to have found a, a practice that actually can address the root cause. It's not easy as we know, but um, we're trying to like, we're trying to aim at the root cause. And we see that how what rampant and widespread selfism is, then we can accept the fact that of course, there's a climate catastrophe. Of course, there's racism and sexism because there's selfism. So that acceptance that because of dependent arising, situations arising due to other conditions, that arise due to other conditions, that arise due to other conditions, tracing it back to selfism, um, beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. We accept the situation as it is so that we can address it. And uh, this is like deep, deep trust in cause and effect. This is the name of one of Dogen Zenji's essays. Dogen doesn't want us to um, get lost in some kind of like comfortable, blissful emptiness that doesn't include cause and effect. These two actually can't be separated. That's the, that's the middle way, the dependent arising and total ungraspable emptiness are inseparable. One implies the other. Form itself is truly emptiness, complete emptiness. But emptiness 
itself truly is form. Emptiness is the climate emergency. They're inseparable and particularly deep trust in cause and effect, the workings of cause and effect. And that, that we individual humans, each of us um, humans, that's not really a separate independent self, but we're a, we're, um, we're a collection of body and feelings and thoughts, particularly though as bodies, as, um, as human bodies manifested in this world, see how everything that we do with our body and our speech and mind, but particularly in terms of climate change, we could say climate change is caused by human bodies. Yeah. Our, the actions of our bodies are caused by thoughts, but um, everything we do with our body has an effect. We can start noticing that deep trust in cause and effect. We do amazing things with these bodies. It's a, it's a miracle what we can do with these bodies. We can greatly benefit many, many beings with these bodies and we can greatly bring, bring great misery to many beings with these bodies. Every moment we're doing something with the body. So in this sense, um, opening to uh, and deeply trusting cause and effect in relation to this particular body, we're kind of responsible. We humans are kind of responsible for this particular, each of us for a particular body. So, um, particularly I'm thinking now here of like, maybe the big one that comes to mind for me is any time that we, we're in this world kind of economy, culture, Anytime we um, buy something, anytime we're consumers, <laughs> these bodies are consumers. Anytime we spend money, because these days that's, we're not so much into like trade, but if we're trading, maybe same thing, what, are, what we're trading for. But anytime we pull out a coin, a bill or a card, I feel like for myself, I wanna be, become very um, attentive and aware of cause and effect at the moment I pull out that dollar. That's power. Every dollar we spend is um, having an effect on other humans, other species and the planet at large. That's a hard one to open to also, right? Because like when we go shopping, for example, it's, um, you don't want to spend like a whole day in the supermarket thinking with everything we're picking up off a shelf, the effects of it. But um, in fact, I think it is kind of our responsibility to consider. Yes, we do other things with our bodies, like turn on the TV or something, right? And that has an effect in a way on our, on our consciousness and on the world. And, and on the electricity running through the wires. But um, I think especially, I like to look at, um, and, I'm, and I, I'm saying this is kind of like, it's a work in progress where those dollars are going. 
I see many, um, many problems in myself with many, it's very humbling to see um, how it's hard to live in this world. It's hard to maintain a human life and, and track all these things. It's complicated, it's so complicated. So let's keep learning about cause and effect. So um, where is this consumer power? Um, you know, what effects are, is it having? And here we're talking particularly about um, the climate emergency. So um, anytime we buy something that, that has a, that has a, you know, a bigger impact on the planet, that's, in a way you could say, really even say that I think each individual is pulling out their dollar. If we go past this root cause of just selfism, the principle of the illusion of selfism, you could say really the actual physical effects of climate change is nothing but that. It's nothing but 7 billion humans on this planet pulling out a dollar one at a time to um, consume. Wow, that's an unusual way of looking at cause and effect. I think, is it, could we open to that possibility that climate change is nothing but that? Well, what about the big corporations that could be doing it so much differently? Yes, we can talk about that or we can try to change that or we can try to petition that. Um, it, things could be done differently for these 7 billion humans. But in fact, it's the 7 billion humans with their dollar in hand that are, um, that are basically, they created the big corporations. Nothing but that, right? Isn't it true in cause and effect? We could say, I'll support you guys if you, if you do it cleaner. Well, and they say, well, we're not going to. And then we say, well, I guess I, I guess I support you anyway, because we have to. So what do we really have to do? This is so hard, right? I have a car and uh, I try to drive it minimally, which is nice to live across the street from the, from the Zen Center here. So um, usually actually um, we've only used a car a handful of times in the last five months here because it's a great place to walk on the green belt nearby. And uh, it's easy to walk, to go shopping from here. It's a great location, <laughs> the Zen Center of Austin. And sometimes we go car trips too. But um, every time I go, I definitely am aware that this is a choice. It's just a pleasure trip. But like, I don't feel 100% good about it if I'm really trying to pay attention to cause effect. But I do it anyway. Try to be aware. And you know, and it's it's a it's a hybrid, so it gets almost 50 miles to the gallon, but it's not an electric car. It's too much. They gotta they gotta make the they gotta make the electric ones. They gotta subsidize that, and maybe that's coming. Flying, you know, I really try not to um not to fly. Uh, I love going places, but I just recently bought a plane ticket. Somebody invited me to help with a, with a Zen ceremony on the East Coast. And uh, I agreed, 
but I definitely thought about it and felt like uh, it's questionable. I almost said to him, like, I, you know, I really actually, I'm not sure if I should come. Sometimes we make the decisions, we, we go like that. I feel also okay. I feel happy to help him, but, and going to Asia, I mean, we have this plan, Shoho and I, to go to Nepal. I deeply question, um, at least regularly, flying to the other side of the planet. Um, and I did in the past, but I did it anyway. I, I wanna feel the pain of this situation at the same time. Heating the, heating the, uh, the place here in the, in the summers of show and I tried to keep the air conditioner at the kind of minimum and we got some complaints. So we try to find a way to just really looking at, you know, each degree, this is the details. One degree of, of heat or cool is burning the very fuel that is the, really the, the, the largest um, cause of climate change. You say, okay, you're getting obsessive. This is too detailed. Well, what if everybody thought about just like a degree of heat or, um, or, or air conditioning? Um, little things. We would open the windows at night and cool off a little bit. It's so humid, but just you know, bring it down a little bit and then it's going to be a little less power the next day. You know, the heat in the winter. If, if we're, you know, if we're sitting in the house in a t-shirt or something, you know, like, at least like look at that, like the absurdity of the situation, right? We have sweaters. I often spend the day, you know, um, with all like my eight layers of clothing on. And sometimes I, I look at it like when the hat, if there were a hat in the house all day, it's going too far, but some wouldn't say that's too far. It's uncomfortable, but actually like wearing a bunch of layers is not that uncomfortable. And maybe it's, you know, it's such a tiny, tiny drop in the bucket. It's not, that's not gonna affect climate change. I agree, it's not gonna affect climate change as a whole, but, um, but it's the practice for me of just studying cause and effect. The supermarket, wow. I mean, I, I think a, a big one, um, they say that, that the latest numbers I've heard is, you, it's hard to tell about climate change, right? But, but um, so there's this big range of what percentage of it is caused by um, different factors. And so heating and air conditioning is, is a large, I think like 10% of uh, all carbon emissions is one number I, I heard. Transportation is maybe the largest of all kinds, mostly cars and air, I think. Um, but somewhere between 10 and 50%, which is a big range, so nobody is sure. You can't really measure these things exactly. But somewhere in there is you know, methane emissions from livestock. So it's not like a tiny fraction of climate change. Um, meat eating is major, major percentage, and I think. You know, I've heard this for a while. And to me, it seems like that's actually the, the easiest one um, to actually uh, change without too much discomfort. 
but I, it's, I think it depends on the person. I mean, I've been vegan for over 30 years, so it's not an issue at all for me. I think when I started, I was really missed ice cream, for example. But now there's just some amazing vegan ice creams. But um, it's a big one, right? So that, that's our, our dollar in the store. And that one, I think, is, is, is related to um, not just, I think, it's obvious that it's related not just to climate, but, um, but to individual living beings. Being a, that's a little subset, being aware of cause and effect in terms of speciesism and, uh, and eating, eating animals when it's so unnecessary for our health. In fact, ironically, it's like detrimental to our health. I think many would agree. Although there's endless debates about such things. So it's not really, for me, it's not about my health. I feel healthy without that. But uh, even if I was a little less healthy, I, it would, I would have to get pretty unhealthy before I wanted to enact that, change that type of cause and effect. Packaging. Yesterday, Joe and I were in Central Market and we have this great olive bar that we've never tried out before, but I love those olive bars. I didn't look into where all the olives are imported from and whether they had to fly them over. This is it's endless, right? But at least we're, we try to be really diligent about not getting packaged food, especially plastic. Of course, they have all the plastic containers there. Everybody's piling them full. We brought in our, our empty glass jar left over from some other food and um, go to get the tear weight. So used to doing that in Santa Cruz, the registers, people are doing that all the time. You, you weigh the, your glass bottle and then they, so they don't charge you for the weight when they weigh the olives, right? And um, I started asking around the, the people and they're like, oh, I don't know if you can do that. Go check at the register. And the registered person said, huh? What do you mean the tear? Wow. Nobody's ever asked them to weigh an empty glass container at at Central Market, and they just kept getting the runaround to different people. And finally, there, of course, there is a way to do it in the, in the bulk section or the olive section, but it was like it had never happened before. And I thought, wow, it was really a lesson for me. Like, it was extremely inconvenient. It took like probably half an hour to weigh this glass bottle. And um, absurd. I just thought, how absurd. They just don't make it at all. You know, I think it's okay to leave the plastic out if people didn't bring anything, but, um, but at least make it convenient to bring your own. Bring up, we bring our used bag, still from Santa Cruz, we have plastic bags. Is this like neurotic, obsessive activity? The label's completely all worn off. Big one where we ran out of bags, we put all, all the vegetables, in one big bag and you know, weigh each one separate. And this one bag has like 10 stickers on it, central market stickers, right, for the weight. And, um, and really we try to like, if we run out of bags, we're not gonna, we kind of have a, a policy. We won't get, a, uh, we won't buy something with a store bag. We're not gonna take another plastic bag. Um, it's 
extremely inconvenient. It's you have to wash the bags, dry them so they don't mold. That's why I think Al Gore called his movie an inconvenient truth. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes persistence, it takes remembering to always bring something to the market. But some things we do, we buy in you know, glass if at all possible, but plastic. You can't get tofu um, bulk that I found in, in Austin, maybe somewhere. So yes, do I feel good about it? No, not really, but I do really like tofu. Just at least being aware of cause and effect and being aware of the activity of this body in the world, you know, picking up the thing off the shelf, handing them a dollar, that's, that's the cause and effect, you know, cycles and loops. And that is the root of all this. Could it, could it be done? Could, you know, I can hear, I can hear the heater blasting here in, <laughs> in my room. Uh, I think, um, I think it's gas. Could it be done efficiently? Could we get um, all all solar and wind in uh, in Austin and then and then heat through that electricity? Yes, and we and anybody who's working in those arenas, incredibly grateful. I think that's that's what it takes. But us ordinary um, citizens, until it happens, what are we going to do? So. Um, Studying cause and effect, noticing um, particularly every every um, consuming, you know, uh, monetary exchange with a deep sense of humility and repentance, um, and of course things like voting, petitions. I do I, I do probably sign like several online petitions like every day because I just get them a lot of environmental stuff. Do they do any good, really? I, I imagine probably not much. It's a mini cause and effect, but I don't even read all the details. I just click on the button. It's, it's easy enough if, it, if, if it's in the general right direction. Is it going to solve climate change? No, I don't think so. But um, that political action, this is one where um, I, I just don't know, again, as a Zen response to climate crisis, I really respect and I have Zen friends that are involved in um, Extinction Rebellion, one of the most kind of radical activist groups that's really just trying to wake up society. And their theory is if you get a certain percentage of people that are really concerned about the climate crisis, that will be the tipping point and things will start to change in a bigger way we just there's too much denial so they're trying to um, end denial by like you know putting a boat in the middle of times square street to block traffic and things like this getting arrested usually as a zen response i totally um applaud the people doing it for myself um i i have questions because i also feel like um 
the Zen principle of the, the Buddhas and ancestors trying to help people, the Shakyamuni Buddha, um, as I understand it, he um, never told anybody what to do unless um, he was asked three times. So you could say, oh, all the sutras are telling people what to do, I think. In a way, they are. They're suggesting things people can practice. But he never gave the sutra, taught a sutra unless he was asked three times. I think that's beautiful. In other words, he didn't just go up to random people and say, hey, you should practice mindfulness. He waited to be asked and it, you know, it seemed to be pretty effective. Anyway, so around these climate change issues, I have friends who are, don't feel bad about going up to people. And I have one friend who, whenever he sees like a car item, see all the time people like on their cell phone for like five minutes in the car with the AC on. And he'll just knock on the window. Can you just turn your engine off, please? <laughs> he does that. And I'm like, I wouldn't do that. It's too, I, I can't do it. But um, it doesn't feel appropriate as a practice for me. It's, so I question this telling people what to do. And maybe it feels like um, I'm, I'm trying not to tell you all what to do today. I'm just telling you some things I like to do. I enjoy doing whatever Oh, another one, by the way, just um, thinking of it is, is um, laundry, drying laundry, especially on a sunny day. Is, um, one study said that's in the almost major, it's not minor, it's not like changing a light bulb to, to fluorescent. You know, the heat that it takes to, to dry clothes is big. So we do it even when it's raining and freezing. But it's inconvenient. It's extra time, takes longer. So, um, so these things, I don't, I don't tell them. I, I don't see, I'm not even suggesting that anybody do these things I'm, because I don't think it's, I don't think it's such a Zen thing to um, tell people what to do. But um, that's, a, that's, I, that's a deep question I have about climate change. It's more like, um, can we just be examples? I think that was the Buddha's life was just being an example. And uh, he, he didn't tell so many people what to do, but people, people were inspired by it and encouraged by it. And I think that's a kind of principle of Zen is, is um, keep looking at what we're doing. Keep looking at how, where that dollar goes in our hand. And uh, as we were checking out yesterday at the central market and, and with all these obviously well-used plastic bags full of stuff and like putting, packing them into our backpacks. I thought, I did that at the, 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 um, the cash register checkout person and thought, she might maybe thinks that we're kind of mentally ill. <laughs> I, could, uh, I could imagine or just like really homeless, destitute people or something. Although we must have a kitchen to, with all those vegetables. But I saw the people, you know, before us and after us at the checkout line thought would kind of like look a little weird, but like, it's okay. I, got, I kind of feel good about it. It's just don't have to say anything, but it, um, it's just a way of doing things that for me, I feel, I feel joyful about it. Inconveniently joyful to just be tracking 
when the hand releases a dollar and, and, no, and humbly repenting when I continuously you know, violate my own values. I really feel like I do, but that's part of being alive on this planet. So um, integrity, trying to live with integrity as the, uh, as the ship goes down. I have a, a friend who's very lightly on the earth who, who says, um, I asked him about this, how he thinks of this climate change thing. And he's like, oh yeah, it's, we're goners. It's, 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 it's too late. And, you know, he, he lives with almost nothing, but he's like, but, um, but he's like, the band plays on to the end. The ship's going down, but the band plays on. That's how I feel like um, we can live with integrity, even if it's, it's not going to work. Is it like, is it about result? If we don't get a result, it's not worth it. I don't feel that way. I feel like just try to live with integrity even if it, even if we all go extinct, and uh, rather than rather than surrendering and saying, "Well, since the ship's going down, let's let's um, forget about this packaging and stuff. Doesn't matter anymore. It's too late." I don't feel like it's integrity, even though the effect may be the same. Right? Ironically, so. Um, Lastly, I would just say uh, on a totally other kind of um, direction regarding may maybe a Zen response to um, the climate catastrophe, the climate emergency, is um, I think another going back towards this root cause of, of selfism, putting myself above others. I think we also, um, based on that fact, we lose touch with nature with wild nature especially city dwellers we forget that we're living in this amazing non-human constructed world and just spending time in nature really wild nature is the best you know where there's no human signs sometimes i think many of us we, we love that anyway but it really um it's almost it gets it gets more kind of the spiritual roots of the climate um, emergency that we that humans have lost touch with their place in nature. So um, spending time in the, the mountains and the oceans and the deserts, where like life is doing its thing, non-human life is doing its thing, and and uh, we kind of like tap back into um, to our our place in the, the big picture. So just a few thoughts. There's no Zen response to climate change, but here's a few calculus random thoughts. And um, maybe we can have some discussion after. I'd love to hear any of your thoughts too. Thanks for um, bearing this painful topic today, part of our practice. What happens next? Do we just go right into question and answer discussion? Yes, Eric has his hand raised. Sure, Eric. Hello, Kokyo. Hi. 
Thank you for the Dharma talk. Thank you very much. It, it reminds me of practicing for the sake of practice. The same thing you're talking about with the environment, the dignity, dignity of, 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 of practicing with Buddha. It, is, is that similar to what you were talking about? Yes. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. We don't practice to with, with you know, really obsessed about the outcome, some final attainment. And if we don't get it, we'll be really disappointed. That's kind of a painful way to practice. We practice just for the sake of practice in the moment. We try to, you know, you could say, you could say paying attention to the, the forms of the Zendo and we're chanting or something like that is also just watching cause and effect, watching the body, the body's cause and effect and just for its own sake. So I think that is a, that's a nice analogy that we can, we can live lightly on the earth in, the, in this web of cause and effect. Kind of, you know, maybe we can't help but hope that um, it has a little effect, but, um, but just for itself. Yeah, just for itself, even if it doesn't have an effect. Exactly. Yeah, integrity. Yes, uh, Marco. Just to um, add add to that, I one thing that that occurs to me is recycling, and how much over the past several years, I think there's just a lot of changes have happened in the recycling stream of things, such that now I've heard many people say, well, it's not even worth doing because it's just gonna do, do, do you know it's gonna be put on a barge and sent to China or the, and then they're going to send it to this point and it's just going to end up being kind of ferried around Southeast Asia until some country who is poor enough to say, yes, we will take it, takes it. And so like, don't even bother recycle. I mean, it's so, <laughs> and yet still it's like, I want to rinse out this container and press it down and separate it from the, you know, so I still do these things, even though when I do them, it's like that comes up of, you know, maybe this doesn't matter. We don't know. And and we're told maybe it doesn't, you know, over and over, maybe it doesn't matter to do this. And yet it's something that I can do. And so in, in terms of the feeling, I think it's really what you said earlier about the feeling of hopelessness. It's like you can get really hopeless when you focus on the effect and whether or not it's actually making a difference, as opposed to in the moment when you're doing the practice of taking care, it feels... <laughs> You know, there's a buoyancy that can come from it that, you know, can mm, counter the eroding of our hope, right? Which definitely. Is yeah, definitely. When you see the, see sometimes the public trash cans where all the recycling is all mixed together and it's just like, oh, it's, it's getting missed. Yeah, I think that's right. And, the, and the, you could say that system is set up to try to address this on some small scale to try to help. So we're, so because people made an effort to set it up that way, let's support their effort by, yeah, recycling. And, and I think, um, again, this is cause and effect, studying cause and effect, how, how does it work? I just yesterday, thinking about this talk, um, looked up, um, I didn't look up, you know, uh, glass and metal. I, I think that they, um, I had a recycler friend in, um, in Santa Cruz who worked for the, the county recycling. And I think glass and metal usually are recycled, they often are, 
but plastic is the one I looked up yesterday. And because I heard rumors and they were confirmed that, that all the plastic with the little numbers of different kinds of recycling, almost all of it goes to the landfill. And um, so that's why um, still I, I put it in the recycling, but that's why that, um, you know, I, it's not PVC, but something like that, you know, the hard plaque plastic with the numbers on it, that is like, um, I consider kind of evil, like that I really will, will try not to buy. Uh, I, loved, I loved eating berries in the past, fresh berries, and it's so painful that at least here you can't get them outside of those bubble wrap plastic. I just, I think that goes to, ends up in, often ends up in the ocean. But still, if there's a piece of it, we put it in the recycle. We hope for the future. It's, it which also just shows that I think the reason why, just as you said, is the, the recycle is getting shipped around to Asia and stuff is because it's just too much of it. It's, um, we have the recycle, recycling is so helpful, but, um, but um, then it kind of encourages us maybe not to reuse or, um, uh, you know, they say reuse or recycle. Uh, one friend says, um, actually, we should put it in this order, refuse, reuse, and recycle. Just don't take it, just don't get it. But yeah, it's absurd looking at how the stores do things. And I think, why do they do it? Probably, I would imagine, because it's the cheapest way to do it. A plastic bubble wrap is cheaper than cardboard, which it's in California, sometimes the berries you can, you can get in cardboard. It probably doesn't, it gets crushed in the truck. It, anyway, it's like um, economics is driving the whole. I think that's another way to look at the, um, at the climate emergency. It's driven by, you know, if, if it was, if we can make renewable energy lower cost, it's going to happen. So that's where the government has to help out here. And uh, meanwhile, the economics is our, is a dollar in our hand. Yes, uh, Anne and Rob. So thank you, Tokyo. Um, this issue means a lot to me. I really liked what you said about uh, living with integrity as, you know, even, even if whatever the action is, if it's not going to have an effect, if it, you know, but uh, what I want to say is, is heretical or, or, or what I really want to say is probably considered heresy by most people. Something I, I haven't heard mentioned yet was the idea of having a family, of people having children. And I guess the question in my mind is, you know, for people that are having children, you know, now in 2022, uh, with all that we know, and, you know, if, that, if those children are going to live to be 80 years old, you know, how can, how can we say that we live for the benefit of all beings when, you know, the, the, the child that we're hypothetically going to have what is their life going to look like in the year 2100 when they're 81 years old or 80 years old? So this is the, only place, I would, this is the only place I feel safe doing that. Yes. And, and I, and I still know it's very controversial. I hear, I hear no one talk about it. It's a, it's a sacred cow, especially here in the United States, but yes, yes. Thank you for, for mentioning it. I thought about mentioning myself, but, um, 
but um, you were braver than me. <laughs> so um, no, yes, uh, both, both bringing children into the world, big question, but, um, but strangely, I had never seen um, it so explicit as this one chart that's on the web of just, it's a, it's a nice website that has, you know, impact of different things. And it's the same chart that puts laundry drying in the medium category between large and small. And it's got, you know, different actions. So, you know, vegetarian, vegan is, is, in, the, is in the large category, not medium, it's a large effect. And then, um, and then and, you know, fly one international flight, you know, even, even higher. And then this graph is going like this, having one child, it goes like off the chart, like a hundred times more. And that theory is not so much that we're bringing into a suffering world, but that's like your action, your personal action is creating another consumer that's going to live for 80 years and going to have who knows whatever impact they want to have. Right. So um, you could say it's just like doubling your own. It's a strange way of thinking, maybe, but it's like, you know, 10 times more your personal consuming that you decided to create that consumer. Now that's like a really, for parents, maybe that's an awful way of talking, which is why I think you're right that it's, it's a totally taboo topic. But um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, that's part of, part of my um, decision about not having kids, definitely is. So it's a tough one, right? It's, we live in a, in a world that's so different than it was 100 years ago. And not only, may, I don't know if the graph was including that that kid is also then going to um, produce several other first world consumers. So there's also, you know, what about adopting? I guess if you adopt from a third world country, you're going to, in terms of climate change, maybe you say that's going to be worse because you're bringing a low consumer into a high consumer country. It's... It's a taboo topic, but as practitioners, we're open to taboo topics. Thank you, Rob, for that. Yeah, Jose. Hi, Kokio. Uh, thank you very much for, for your uh, for your wonderful talk. Um, uh, one thing that I took away from it uh, was this whole question, right, of living by integrity, living by example, um, which is sort of the thing that we can do uh, that doesn't, you know, tell other people what to do, but rather shows people a way of how one can act. Yeah. And so I was wondering if, um, if including, included in this is this uh, potentially another uh, Zen response to the climate emergency um, is this uh, motto that I've learned about Zen Buddhism. Uh, and I don't know if I'm going to get this correct or not because it's in Japanese, um, but I think it's a Men Mitsu no Kafu, uh, which is uh, attention to detail is the family way, I think. Yes. Um, okay, thanks. Um, and so, uh, and so, uh, the same way that that we treat our cushions and we treat uh, everyday uh, objects uh, uh, along these lines uh, is the same way that we would treat, uh, you know, uh, glass containers at the supermarket uh, and and uh, our planet. Um, so, I was wondering if this concept uh, does extend. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I think it's another way of saying. As I mentioned, Dogen's phrase on um, deep faith in cause and effect, deep trust in the workings of cause and effect and our part in it. Um, I think it's another way of saying that, yeah, careful attention to the details of, of every action 
And um, yeah, as a practice, we pay attention to the details in the zendo and, um, and we can do it in the supermarket too. But it's, it's, um, it's tedious to pay attention to details. Read the labels of where things come from. It's nice in, in those bulk bins where they usually say the country where things come from. So um, to, to help, you know, to help obsessive people <laughs> decide what they get. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Sharing. Thank you, Kokio. Um, first of all, I wanna thank you for trailblazing at Central Market about the tear. Um, thing because I've always gone to the olives and I get my plastic container and I wash them out and either recycle them or reuse them. But now that you've opened up the door, I'm going to bring my glass jar and present the the tear issue to them if I have difficulty. If enough of us do us do that, I would think that they would have a, a little notation by the way machine. But, um, exactly. Also. Uh, also um, I don't know oh, by the way, just on, on that note, just to save you some time, yes. it's the um, the um, the kind of deli deli meat counter next to the olives. That's the one. Yes, they'll, they'll do the tear for you. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, um, and also I, this wonderful book uh, by uh, Zen practitioner uh, Ruth Ozeki called a, "A Tale of Time Being," where the young Asian heroine has to go live with her. Zen aunt, grandmother rather, Zen priest aunt up in the Japanese uh, monastery. And in uh, her task is the grandmother has her washing Ziploc bags. Um, and she's really annoyed with that. And she finally, after several weeks saying, why don't we just throw these bags away and uh, just buy new ones? Think of all the time you would save that you could go and sit at Zazen. And the grandmother says, when I wash the bags, it is Zazen. So I, yeah, I thought that was very beautiful. Nice. And we nice. were all touching on pointing at that, saying yes. it yes. is yeah. practice. Yeah. And also, I think another another um, uh, line the, uh, the grandmother could have said, sometimes Dogen does this, he kind of like says, if I, was, if I was that person in the koan, I would say, so if I was that grandmother, I would say there is no away to throw it away <laughs> yeah thanks thanks for that yes and and um yeah we have the, of course the buddha's radical example when before climate change he's living in the woods with no possessions right at all low impact life i don't think it was meant to be an environmental statement but um but interestingly there's one sutra where the buddha says um Somebody's asking him, you're the boot, you're completely awakened, you're incapable of suffering. You could live in any situation and you'd be totally free. Why do you still like to live out in the forest? This looks so like uncomfortable. And, um, and the Buddha said, um, two reasons I still live in the forest. Um, one is because I like it. I actually like living in the forest. It's beautiful to live in nature and live simply. And the second reason is to set an example for future generations. That's a nice 
Buddhist story that fits in. And, and like you say, the, the Zen, Zen monasteries are, are, have traditionally been into frugality and saving every grain of rice and um, washing those bags. And, and uh, it's beautiful. It's menmitsu no kafu. It's taking care of cause and effect. But it is a kind of, it's a secret, secret, um, what do you say, like um, subversive message of Zen monasteries and so on is that they're like actually showing a way to, um, to live in the world in a low impact way. Uh, Jess. Thank you uh, so much for this beautiful and um, incredibly uh, deeply moving and sad talk. I felt really, really moved. Um, and uh, thank you for being inspirational to me um, because, you know, although you have it, you don't directly say what to do. Um, I think just being like in close proximity to you and Shoho and, and watching through, um, I was working in the office um, in the home that they've been living in and watching how both of you move and uh, take, you know, deep care in each decision that you make, um, you know, it matters. Um, I was recently listening to a podcast and it was talking about the idea of convenience and um, the person said something pretty cool and I haven't pushed on it hard enough to decide whether I think it's totally true, but I thought I would just mention it. Um, so we have, I have this idea that uh, convenience means saving time, which is a good thing, right? But the person actually said, you know, things that are positioned as convenience, like a uh, dryer, isn't necessarily saving time if you think about it. Like the dryer could break, you know, you spend time maintaining it. You had to spend a lot of time making money to buy it, right? So like, if you look deeply, these things don't always necessarily save time. I think technology, all forms of technology is like a perfect example of this. Are our phones really saving us time? <laughs> You know, like maybe not, but what um, convenience does is uh, prohibit the movement of our body. So where we would usually spend our own body energy, renewable energy, um, getting something done, we're now relying on energy from the earth and of course our bodies from the earth. But um, to me, that was really cool, a cool reposition of convenience. Um, so I thought I'd offer that, and I, I actually do have a question for you, um, which is when you say integrity. Thanks for the convenience point, but that, that's a good one. Yeah, not yeah. necessarily convenient in the in the yeah. bigger picture. No, yeah, I, it's been cool for me to like every time I think of convenience. Now I'm like, huh, interesting. You know, I don't want to move my body less, so it's like it's nice. Um, so. When you say integrity, um, I just wonder whether you would offer a few words on what that means to you in this context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that question. Yeah, uh, integrity as a word seems to be related to like integrated, integrate, which is kind of like 
bringing different pieces together. I'm sort of thinking out loud here. So um, um, maybe one way of thinking about integrity is is bringing together one's one's conduct with one's vow and intention and values. I, I'd say like like I have we all have values. So I have values, and when I kind of act in a way that's not in accord with the value, which I do, like I just really want berries or something, right? Plastic thing. And then like, I feel like out of integrity, I'm not like, and I feel it. I know I'm like, I'm doing something here that's not in accord with the value. And, um, you know, I just come to feel like I'd, I'd rather not eat the berries than feel um, out of integrity. In other words, like separated, like, um, like split between my deep values and my action. So maybe that's one way of looking at integrity is, is when our conduct is aligned with our values and in Zen we could say our vows and uh, the benefit of all beings and our bodhisattva precepts. So, so yeah, to live in integrity, in lining up our conduct with our view and understanding um, is often inconvenient. And almost like a little painful, but um, but actually in the end more more joyful. Melanie, good morning. I I was surprised by your topic. You know, sometimes when I listen to Zen talks, I think, oh, it's going to be Kokyo. This is the last time we're going to hear from Kokyo for a while, so he's going to do some really cool Zen topic. Yeah. So it was really, it's like, uh oh. <laughs> that's my first reaction you're right I, I don't i don't bring i mean i think about this a lot but i don't bring it up so much a little bit like rob's saying you know i i just i don't know i don't want to tell people what to do i'm really just personally sensitive to that and uh and i'm afraid that i if i start talking about it i might get too riled up and uh so it's swinging the stick or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. I, it's a koan. It's a question for me. Like, what is the way? And also, because I'm really, to be honest, I'm most interested in the root, the root cause, which yeah. is selfism. And I think that's what's so beautiful that we all are, are in this practice because of that. So like. Yeah, that's, well, that's what. That dressing the root. That was what was different. I mean, it, it, the way that you talked about it was super, I, I don't know, it was encouraging. And usually this kind of topic isn't at all encouraging, it's discouraging. And, and it made me think about the emotions. You know, you mentioned you feel it when you, that it was more important to you to not eat berries than use plastic. So I think about the emotions of all these things that happen, like, irritation that I have that maybe I'm washing out the Ziploc bags or something, which is something I've done. And, and something that I realize is the, you know, there's a lot of convenience things I've been doing lately, or we've been doing in our house because we moved and we don't have all our stuff and, you know, this kind of thing. But, and so a lot of the day is spent what, you know, you talked about time, Jess, and, and you talked about um, the inconvenience, Sherry, and, and I think, you know, throughout the day, emotions drive things like, am I irritated by this? 
is this annoying me or not? Am I comfortable enough? You know, some of these, of course, are first world things, but I wonder if you could talk about those kinds of emotions. It's like a lot of, it feels like a lot of what drives me anyway is avoidance of annoying things or, you know what yes. I mean? Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't think that's the point, Melanie. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So that's another, there's so many ways to look at kind of like, these, these basic foundations of climate crisis. Um, that's another way it could be framed, again, emerging out of really, I wanna stay with the root of selfism, but, but the next step beyond that is um, just, you know, convenience and comfort and, and, um, and, and, and also habit, convenience, comfort, and habit, all those together. So when you, so to me, those, those, it's really tied to what you said was the root because what is, who is it that, what is annoying? You know, it's protecting that self itself is, yeah, is paramount. Yeah. And it's annoying because I want to do something else more fun than washing out this bag. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I and want to, this yeah, is, I want to, this is me. I want what I want. And even like there's my, we can often feel and make a, make a nice excuse. There's, I have more important things to do with my life, maybe even to help others, right, than to wash out this bag. Right? <laughs> I, I have important things to do. This is like trifling and it doesn't make a difference. I can feel, I feel that way sometimes too. It's, and then that's why this men mitsu no kafu idea is so nice in Zen. It's like, no, the details are our life. The, there is no big ground important thing that like, you know, I have to I have to fly to the conference, uh, the climate conference, so that I can give the grand, inspiring talk. So it doesn't matter that I fly because that's the important thing. Whereas Greta, our hero Greta, like, sure, I'll come to the climate conference, but um, I'm going to sail across the ocean and take three weeks to get there with no gas, and then I'll speak at the climate conference. <laughs> talk about inconvenient <laughs> and incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible yeah. example. Yeah. 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 And maybe if there's like, no, there's no boat that fast sailboat that fast. You got the ultra fast modern, you know, catamaran, but um, if not, then maybe she wouldn't have gone and maybe no one would have heard the story or maybe they would have heard it, but she didn't go. But um, yeah, the little things. And uh, also this point about emotion is, is a good one. I, I think, in a way, it's we could have the practice to, um, like I mentioned, you know, these steps. Just to mention them again, like first, um, open to the painful facts. That's like a practice. Like I'm not. I'm going to try not to deny or repress or ignore this because, or you know, I, I don't have time to think about it. Now I'm going to like remember this. And then um, deeply look at the cause and effect and, and my part in it. And, um, and then once we got those in place, if we, if we take those up as practices, then we're kind of stuck. It's like we're in, this, we're in this situation where I used to just enjoy the berries and now I'm going to suffer. Emotionally, it will be painful if I eat the berries. Emotionally, it will be painful if I don't eat the berries because I really like them. I get them in the, um, I get the frozen ones also in plastic, but it's not the 
not the solid bubble plastic that I've researched is supposedly just way, you know, a bigger impact. But um, I still don't feel great about it. So, so like all this, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? And then our Zen practice is saying, no, ignorance is not bliss. Bliss is coming from opening to the painful situation, watching cause and effect, and then and then like and then let's find our bliss or the most happiness. You, we want to be happy, so that what's the the least unhappy is maybe not getting exactly what I want, and but I feel better. So if you set up these first conditions, it's going to be harder to just easily feel better emotionally. And that's why it's courageous. I think same principle as you receive the Bodhisattva precepts. Before that, it's like, well, I could just do whatever I want. I feel happy about it. But now I have this problem. I made these commitments. Now it makes it harder to just always have fun the way I want to. I have to think about my conduct. Same principle. But in fact, we do want to be happy. So we take on this strange commitment or, um, you know, vow or aspiration to feel happy in a more wholesome way. Because we do want it. We don't want to, yeah, we do want to be happy. That's the integrity part. It's more happy to be in integrity than to be in denial and get something that we really wanted with some denial or repression. It seems to me, but it's harder. It's happier, but harder. Dawn. Thank you, Kokia, so much for your talk today. It was so right on for me. And I just wanted to um, say that when we were talking about integrity and, and what you and Melinda were just talking about, it, integrity and integrate as two words and the integration of reality or awareness of the repercussions that we have as individuals, accepting that and integrating that into our lives and that being the core of practice. And it's painful. It is not, as you were saying, uh, bliss. The bliss is there, but I just wanted to point the integration now and I, again thank you so much for this discussion and the dharma talk it was awesome thank you um yeah and uh yes the last weekend we were talking about the middle way the madhyamaka middle way teachings which is about the two truths the ultimate truth of emptiness or boundless timeless awareness and the relative conventional truth of the appearing world and all the details of this world and how in this middle way system, um, these two truths are always integrated. Uh, they're, they're never separate. They're, they're one reality. There's two kind of perspectives and uh, the teachings that uh, help us understand the integration of the two truths is very much like the integration of, of our view or, and our our values and our conduct. Yeah, integrated.
Mary. Thank you so much for your talk and for all that you've given to us during your stay. I wanted to just uh, return to this issue of acceptance that you brought up at the very beginning of that how we could so easily move away from the our experience of this tremendous loss that we're experiencing, you know, this ambiguous loss of all of these species and, and so on. And that we have to learn to turn towards it rather than away. But when we were talking about habit, like, and the distress and discomfort that we have when we have to struggle with inconvenience and discomfort, I was just thinking at the micro level, the way that we pre prevent ourselves from moving away is to turn towards that and accept that those dis that discomfort and to explore it and be curious about it when it's coming up. Because that's when I find I move towards rationalization. <laughs> you know, that's when I, and that's how I kind of, the mind gets slippy for me. Uh, but as opposed to really saying, okay, this discomfort is because of, you know, the selfism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And habits, habits is a great one to look at. Yeah. Habits are, yeah. um, a, you know, one of those basic basic patterns that arises out of selfism. Just we get in a, we get in ruts. We get in convenient ways of doing things. I just it's so many things we do are just out of habit because we don't want to think about every little movement of everything we do. Right? It's too hard. But in fact, just being really present is already kind of cutting through habit but we just see the extent of it. And also, so there's personal habits, of course, here, but we can also look at societal habits. And uh, what uh, I mentioned earlier too, as blind spots, I like to think of these like um, societal blind spots where everybody's just doing something and everybody goes along with it because everybody else is doing it too. And um, like this, like this um, central market issue, it's like, but they put out the they put out the thing, and so like it almost looks like if you want the olives, you're supposed to take this thing. They put it there for me, so I like, take that thing, put the olives in, it. and it's like it's like um, and then everyone just goes along with it because that's the way it's supposed to be. But um, it's so hard to kind of break out of like, wait, maybe there's another way to to do this, and then and then. Um, as was mentioned, if enough people kept going to the person and like, can I get the, the tear weight on this glass bottle? If there were 10, 10 or 20 every day, they'd be like, maybe we need another system here. We'll, we'll put a sign on the olive thing that says like, if you bring your own bottle and then people start saying, if you bring your own bottle, I would never have thought of that. Oh, that's cool. I have a whole collection of bottles or whatever. It's like changes the societal pattern habit if enough people change it um so many blind spots yeah yeah well, i was thinking about you know, Go um, ahead. in the in the moment when you're frust when you're struggling with the frustration of having to do this right that that's when the, the habit is, is active but when you if you back up and you say oh I, this is what, when i catch myself <laughs> i catch myself and back up and say but this is not what you care about. This is not your deep value and you're not aligned. Yeah. Yeah. I can connect with that. Then I feel a sense of motivation and meaning and purpose. And then 
joy that comes from the action. But if I get stuck in that struggle and kind of um, a sticky thought about it, or shouldn't I shouldn't have to ha hassle deal with this hassle? That's when I'm suffering, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Necessarily, yeah. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like letting go and yeah, some giving more space to it that allows yep. the bigger view. Yeah, another thing is rushing, right? Um, and some sometimes you know. I go like, okay, I have this window of time to do the grocery shopping, right? And, but it's like limited time. And we're really going to move through here quickly. That's when it becomes, all, all, my values start to all go out the window. Yeah. It's like, um, we just like, where does this come from? Just get it. We got to get out of here. And uh, <laughs> but like, why did I get in that situation where I like, set it up for like a, a rush, a rush job? Um, how about I just spend like the hour in the supermarket and, you know, yeah, yeah, creating these habits. So I see there's a, there's a, uh, a text uh, question here from, um, a comment from Jane who says, um, I thought it was really cool how you connected racism and sexism with speciesism. I think the root cause of these issues is agriculture or the departure from hunting and gathering. This is when our species became at odds with nature and developed social hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. So we can look back to these ancient roots and it, maybe another way to frame agriculture. I've heard this, this argument before. That's when that was our downfall. <laughs> Even though nowadays it's like, wasn't it better to actually farm our own vegetables than to buy these plastic packaged things? But in the, originally, yeah. Agriculture, and maybe another way to frame agriculture is ownership. Maybe our downfall is like this land, you know, when it's hunter-gatherer, uh, I think my understanding of it, like nobody owns anything. It's just open land and there's plenty to go around for everybody. And then at some point it's like, maybe there's not enough. Or we can, uh, I'm going to plant these, this area. I'm working on it. So therefore I'm sort of claiming it. And then you stay away. And then it's, and then now we're into like, now we're, that's the money. It, the economy comes out of, of that different ownerships and <laughs> up to today. So, yeah. But to, to think, I think we all know that, um, why don't we go back to that? I, I think it's too late for that. I mean, so, some people talk about this climate emergency will, will be a societal collapse. More and more people are saying it's all really all the things we um, we take for granted. It's really going to collapse, and there's going to be mass climate migrations across the planet. Battles, people will be, and and there'll be very fewer and fewer places that can where food can be grown. So those who have them will be attacked. I mean, it might get into some kind of more primitive way of life, and in, in a forced kind of way. Um, who knows where this is all heading, but it's definitely not sustainable the way it's going now. And yes, um, racism and, and, and sexism, for example, are more and more people are finding the connections and seeing these are completely related because the, um, the white people in the first world countries are causing this damage to um, other races and other countries partly because they care less about them and they're not, they're other than me, 
but they're the ones taking the, the burden of the effects of our causes. So you could say that, yeah, um, that the climate 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 crisis is um, has roots and end effects of um, racism and nationalism. All this is interconnected. All these issues, so they all work together. We're, when we're working on one, we're working on all of them. It's the nice part. Um, and then, um, so I think for me, <laughs> when does bodhisattva integrity mean nonviolent revolution and civil disobedience? When will that be yes. appropriate? Yeah, yeah. Good question. I have that question too. And this issue that I brought up about um, not wanting to tell other people what to do. That's maybe kind of my, you know, a, a personal, you know, I want everybody to like me. So I don't want to, I don't want to push people. That's, that's my own selfing, selfism in a way. But also I think there's, I, I think it is beautiful that the Buddha didn't push his teachings on people. He waited for them to ask. And, um, but when I think about these like actions, political actions, they're usually not geared towards um, a personal individual, or if they are, that person is usually a politician and they're in a role. And, I, and my understanding is that the job of a politician is to be asked what to do. They're representing the people, so the people have to tell them what to do. So that's a little different than just going up to a random person on the street and telling them what to do. So if we look at it like that, we could also say the owner of a corporation is, is representing the corporation. So something like that. It has a little, but especially politicians, it has a little different feeling. It's kind of like we're supposed to tell them what to do. So in that way, um, political action may be appropriate. And also this point, like I mentioned, extinction rebellion, I think they're not so much telling people you should not buy plastic. You know, they might if you ask them, but they're more like we got to wake people up to the big picture of the whole issue. And then people will find their own responses. This is another way of looking at it. We don't need to get into the details. We can, and there's many resources to learn about cause and effect. But if people see the bigger problem, they'll find their own way to join in the effort. So I think that's also not really telling people what to do. It's just telling them, hey, have you noticed that we're in the biggest crisis humanity has ever faced? And that can we remember it every day? That's not really telling people what to do. It's, it's like telling people, reminding people of what is happening. So that's, I think, appropriate. What do you think? Do you think, do you think it, it, we could even go further? Do you think it might be appropriate sometimes to even like tell people what to do? Go door to door, ring the doorbells and, <laughs> and tell them to bring a glass jar shopping? Is that going too far? What, what's going too far if it's nonviolent? Yeah, maybe vi what violent violent and nonviolent. So maybe from a Buddhist perspective, nonviolent would be, um, you know, remembering that the other person is not separate from myself. Everybody, the, the ones causing the harm and the, the ones trying to help in the harm, that, that we're all in this together and inseparable. 
And um, with, with that attitude, then I think maybe almost any action is nonviolent, but it, it's hard to keep that attitude purely in a you know, demonstration against such and such or so-and-so. It's possible, but it's, that would be, again, paying close attention to cause and effect. Do we really think that somebody is like inherently bad or something like this? It's easy to fall into it, but it's more like, I wanna help this person um, awaken and, and they're, they're not so good at listening, so I have to speak louder and louder. Maybe appropriate. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't mean to usurp the time, but one, one other thought I've had is that part of selfism is actually wanting to annihilate the self as well as wanting to promote the self. Yes. Um, That's one yeah. of the things we need to actually save people from that desire. Yeah, and maybe annihilating the self could be um, like, well, my view is this, I'm just a weird, crazy person, so I, I don't really like count, and no one wants to hear I have to say anyway, and like that's even that attitude is kind of annihilating, right? Rather than we each have our own truth, and we're and we're invited in this world as humans to um, step up and and uh, and express it, even if it's not totally right, you know, or totally informed. Where life is inviting us to express ourselves, and then practice is inviting us. To express ourselves in a in a nonviolent and kind of lighthearted and um, playful way around serious things, we can still express ourselves in a in a, in a lighthearted, playful way. If we, if we get too serious, no, I really need to tell you this, and because you're really wrong, then we've kind of lost the practice and. And um, interestingly, it's not very effective. <laughs> it doesn't usually work. Maybe the Buddha's thing of like, I don't tell, I'm not going to teach any sutras unless people ask me three times. Maybe he's like, because I tried it and um, it didn't work. People think I'm like being too pushy. But if they really want to hear something, then I'm going to unleash the sutra. But if they, got, they have to ask three times, so they really want to hear it. Well, that's a wonderful conversation. Thank, thank you all. Um, oh, Macon. I just wanted to say a few things from maybe a different perspective. Um, let's see, there were a few things. It feels, uh, it felt a little bit like there's some white privilege uh, around all of this. Uh, and um, also the issue of children, I don't think we see a big, the bigger picture with what we've brought to the table today, because these kids are also creating solutions that yes. we don't even have a clue mm -hmm. about because we're not the ones really facing it. And also, I think that's where a lot of mental health issues are coming from, because I know my kids are like, they're like, we're probably the part the planet will probably die. You know, like they kind of know that already. So it's not like they're clueless, um, but they also want to do stuff to make it right. And um, like the idea of like the dryer and um, right. And so 
I grew up with, um, in a very, my, my mother's family were very poor and migrant farm workers. And so it took a lot of time to draw, wash and dry everybody's clothes. Right. Um, for family, so many. And, um, and so they had less time to be creative, less time to solve problems, less time to, you know, uh, study less time to do a lot of different things. So having a dryer at some point actually freed them to go to school more or not have to work in the fields all day long. And so there's just a, another side to all of this that we might not have addressed. I few thoughts. Thank you. Thanks for bringing <laughs> up the, the other sides. Yeah. There's a, as we, as, as your example, show, it's complicated situation and it's never one-sided. So yes, um, every situation is different. Yeah, if you have like, you know, a huge family with, um, with uh, you know, a thousand clothes to wash or something, then, um, then it's a different situation. And so it's, we have to look, is, it, is this just a slight inconvenience or is this like a major shift? For, for me and Joho, it's not a big thing to hang up the laundry, don't have so much. Uh, and then um, your issue about kids is it is a uh, is a good one because yeah it's it, if theoretically nobody had any kids and that would be the end of everything because then there'd be no one to create the solutions because we're going to die soon so um, yeah some will create the solutions so if you if you're a conscious um, person that raises kids um, in a um, bodhisattva way then that's then that's um yeah could be part of the solution so it's complicated there's um there's many sides the cause and effect is inconceivable dependent arising cannot be fathomed the buddha taught and then there's some things that seem pretty clear and obvious that like i don't really see you know some things we do are maybe i really can't see any good in this except for myself and it's not even really good for myself either those are the ones where we can really. Yeah. Then the, like the glass at central market, I already see where the problem is going to be being in the food industry. I know what they're going to say. They're going to stop it because people are going to walk in with dirty jars. And so they're going to say, this is not, so we have to start thinking about like, where, where's this, where's it going to fall apart? And then how can we solve that? Because that's where that's, where it'll fall apart is that they won't allow people to bring in stuff that is not necessarily clean. And so anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen that things to think what about. What happened in the pandemic, um, a lot right. of places that with bulk went back to you, even in Santa Cruz was like this. You can't bring your own bag anymore because we don't want to touch your bag right. as part of the thing because they had to go get the bulk stuff. Right. So there's, that I think they're over that now, but and yeah, I could imagine somebody with a dirty jar issue, but it's but it's more like, but the outs is dirt gonna drop off the bottom of the jar into the olives or what, you know. But there's but that's yeah, that's part of our society's values of our antiseptic culture has you could say is part of the climate thing too, right? That's that's our, you know, it used to be that everybody got their milk in a glass bottle and it got um reused washed and reused and i was wondering that must have cost more 
than um, than um, new bottle for or, or you know or plastic or even more extreme. It must be economics, but maybe it's also partly the feeling in the modern times. People, I actually, if all the cost is equal, I'd rather have a new bottle. It feels cleaner than somebody's own washed bottle with a label wearing off. It might be a kind of a, a cultural value about reusing is less clean in, in that milk example. I'm not sure. Um, but these are the things we have to yeah, look at our cultural blind spots when the planet's in trouble. Cool. And it's not going to be easy, as you say. And I'm not saying don't try to take your glass to Central Market. I'm all for this. I'm just yes. saying this is what I see is the like the stop there. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, it's just a, some some push to on the, from a different perspective. Some yeah. Thoughts. Thank yeah. you. For it's not going to be easy to have these these bigger changes. Yeah. So um yeah. Yeah. I and mean, then do we do we give up right away? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not saying that. And it, and your talk actually is inspiring to see how much I am a consumer and so and how to shift that. So I definitely took a lot from your talk. So don't I just bring it a few other no, I understand. You're bringing up how complicated and difficult these things are. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Tokyo. <laughs> Thank you. So we're winding down this uh, wonderful discussion. Thanks, and, and uh, um, I learned a lot from you all. That's partly just having these kind of discussions broadens the perspective. We hear different points of view. Something that seems so clear is like, oh, it's maybe not that clear. And uh, this is we're learning about cause and effect in this discussion. So um, it's a great topic to keep discussing with many people um, for a long time. And in the meanwhile, if there's any um, merit generated from, from such a discussion, we, um, we don't want to hold on to that great merit in self, self selfism kind of way. So let's like offer this merit to all sentient beings throughout the entire universe, especially the ones on planet Earth that are having a hard time right now. May they all uh, open to the difficult situation of cause and effect in each body's um, role in that vast inconceivable web. Thank you, Kokyo. For those who want to continue a discussion, we will open up the breakout room.